Well, good morning, Foothill family. Welcome to church. Aren't you excited to be here this morning? Make sure that you turn, look at somebody across the way, wave at them, let, let them know that you are glad they are here. If you are joining us this morning on social media, we love you. We hope to see you soon. Make sure you share this so that your friends and family can be ministered to this morning as well. Father, we give you all the glory. You alone are worthy, Lord, to be worshiped, to be praised. Thank you that everything we do this morning glorifies your name, Father. captives free you came to bring us liberty my sin and my rejection met your blood and my acceptance now I'm alive to bring you praise yeah. where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom every chain is broken through you Jesus where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom Whoa. covered every sin and your grace empowers me to win my pain and my oppression met your blood and my acceptance now I'm alive to bring you praise yeah. where the spirit of the Lord is there Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Every chain is broken through you, Jesus. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom.
Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Every chain is broken through you, Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Praise you, Heavenly Father. Aren't you glad that there's freedom in that name of Jesus? Praise you, Father God. Father, we love you. You deserve our best, God, because you gave your all. We love you, Heavenly Father. We thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people, that wherever we are at, God, you are with us. We declare freedom in this place this morning, healing in this place this morning, restoration in this place this morning.
None like you, Lord. Praise you, Father God. Praise you, God. You are our wisdom, our strength, our vision. Praise you, God. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do, yeah. Hey. 
give you wisdom You know just what to do, yeah And I will love you, Lord, of my strength And I will love you, Lord, of my you glad
you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We serve a mighty God. Hallelujah. He has saved us by his own precious blood. And he, he, he wants to reign on the throne of our hearts. God gave his all for us. He gave his son. He gave his all. He's redeemed our life from destruction. He's given to us eternal life. So even as we were singing about in these last few songs, should we not then surrender our all to Him? Hallelujah. He's done so much for us. To let Him reign in our hearts, don't run from Him. Don't run from His Lordship in your life. It amazes me even when I did that how I ran from the Lordship of Jesus in my life because I was afraid that God in some way was going to lead me to do something that I didn't want to do or that he was going to try to make my life miserable in some way or keep joy or happiness or goodness from me. That is a lie of the devil. Never run from him but run to Him. And when the Holy Spirit deals with your heart about making a change in your life and surrendering that area of your life to God, surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus, don't run from it. It's the devil lying to you. He wants to keep you from more joy, more blessing, more peace, a life of contentment and joy like you will never experience if you try to do life on your own. Try to do life on your own and live it in the flesh and it won't produce anything. But when you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and let God reign in your heart and in your life, it's real living. Hallelujah. Lord, will you reign? We declare our God reigns. Our God reigns in our life. Our God reigns in our heart. For Lord, you're good. You gave your all for us. You gave your precious son, the precious blood of Jesus. You gave your all for us. And so we give our all back to you. I surrender all. I surrender all to you, Lord. We pray for each person who is here today. And each person who's in our church family. You love them so much, Lord. You love them. So we pray, we lift them to you today, and we pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of each one's heart and understanding to the great love of God, that each one would walk in the fullness of the will of God for their life, not running from it, but, O oh Lord, running to it. For the plans that you have for us are to prosper and to bless us, to give us hope and a future. So we pray for each heart who is here today and each heart who is watching. The presence of God would come on them.
and reveal yourself to them, Lord Jesus, in a fresh and new way. If you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, um, first, wave, wave there at the camera. Everybody wave at the camera. They're going to... Uh, Pan the audience. We want to say hello to our church family who is watching this morning by Facebook and also by YouTube. We usually have about 150 people. Did you know that? Every service who are watching live with us. Yes. And then there are people who watch afterward. We have them watching in other countries and other states. And so we're just glad they're here. Now, before you're seated, boy, that was very unenthusiastic. You know, there's just something you have to do every time and you have to just purpose to be joyful about it. You know, I know we do it every week, but you just have to go, okay, I'm going to get into this. All right. So anyway, give an elbow bump or a high five or wave at somebody from far away. And then after you've done that with several people, show them your smiling white teeth. And then after you've done that, well, then you may be seated. We want to dismiss our children now to their uh, uh, kids' church class. Kids, you can go. We want to welcome you today. If this is your first time visiting with us at Foothill Family Church, we're glad that you're here. And if you wouldn't mind just raising up your hand so we could see where you are, we just want to, uh, we want to welcome you And uh, today. Is there anybody here for the first time? Oh, back here. There's a lady back here in the back. Great. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome. Amen. Uh, we want to let you know a couple of things today. As you exit, when you exit uh, today at the back of the sanctuary, out on the back patio, you will find, if you are not registered to vote, we have voter registration out there today. So if you're not registered to vote, or if you have moved since the last time that you voted, then you need to re-register. And so um, go back there and register to vote. There's also some different um, information about some of the different issues that we will be voting on in November. Um, we've also ordered some voter guides um, by uh, Faith family coalition or something. We should have those here within a week or two that will assist you in informing you of the different things that uh, we will be voting on. Um, oh, I, uh, I did want to mention, um, yes, uh, Friday, I, you know, we don't normally do this, but anyway, we went and saw a movie on Friday in a theater. Yes, they're open. But I wanted to tell you about this movie. Um, it's called, uh, Infidel. I wrote down here integrity, but they're both I words, but um, it's called Infidel and it stars Jim Caviezel. He's the uh, born again actor, wonderful man on fire for the Lord, uh, who was in the Passion of the Christ many years ago. He played Jesus. And so this film was produced by Dinesh D'Souza and um, it's rated R. I saw afterward that it was rated R, but I don't know what why? Because there is no language in it. There's no nudity in it. Um, I, maybe there was a few fast-moving scenes, uh, but I, but anyway, maybe that'll entice some people to go see it. So, um, um, but it's a wonderful movie. Um, you can look it up, and I'm not going to say any more than that or take the time. But um, it is a Christian film. But it, well, I don't know. Is it? A, I don't think they consider it a Christian film. But they did call. But they did quote John three sixteen in the film, and it's. It's a great story, and I encourage you to support it because we need more of these type of films shown today in our theaters. So go see Infidel. 
Yes, infidel. Then also, um, at the information center in the lobby, we have a sheet of paper that will give you more information about this, but um, there is a... Um, uh, um, there's a group of people who are producing nutritious meal, meals and delivering them for free to seniors. Um, it's called the Great Plates Delivery Program. So if you or a senior that you know could um, benefit from this program, um, they will receive uh, free meals, they will deliver it to their home. And so there is a sheet of paper on the information center in the lobby that will let you know how to get information about getting signed up for that. Um, then, um, we just wanted to give you a couple of praise reports. We have several families. This will be the last time I mention Awana. I promised that last week, but we have people from outside of our church calling us and finding and wanting to, um, put their children into our, uh, after-school Awana program. And so that's exciting. We're, we're reaching families, um, in that way. Um, and then also I talked to a few different people this week and, um, they were sharing with me good reports about their family members coming to the Lord. Um, uh, one lady was telling me about how she shared a book. Um, I don't know if she bought it here, but we do carry it in our bookstore with a family member of hers. And she'd be been talking to that family member about how important their, their believer, how important her words were. And so she got a book by Charles Cap, and the, and the woman told her, um, this week, she goes, wow, that book that you gave me by Charles Capps, I know you've been talking to me about that, but it was so clear and I understood it and he gave scripture to back it up. And so she said, so I just got up and I just started declaring over myself that my business was blessed and my, I, I was healed and I had victory and I'm just starting to use words and, and speak the word of God. And so um, then in another situation um, in that same particular family um, where um, the young man who's not been walking with the Lord, he's been a prodigal son, he's come back to the Lord and he posted it all over his social media and announced to the world that, you know what, I haven't been serving God, but I am serving God. And if you want to know more about this Jesus, then you message me and I'm going to tell you about him. So, you know, these are the days that people are searching for answers. They're hungry for God and we, we are praying for an awakening. We are praying for revival, and um, and it is happening. Praise the Lord. So those are those are good reports for us. Amen. Um, I think I think that's all we'll share today. Um, we we're gonna. You remember what we do with our offering? You can give uh, if you give by um, paper, check, or use one of the envelopes here. You can put that and give it to one of the ushers as you leave the sanctuary today or you can text to give as well. So let's let's pray over our and declare over our giving to the Lord. Lord, we live to give. We are here on this earth to see how much we can give away to people. We live to give and it's a joy to give and it's a joy, oh Lord, to look every day to be a blessing to others. We also, Lord, know that it is a joy to bring our tithes and our offerings unto you. You've done so much for us. And we do it in obedience and we do it in worship. And we thank you because of it. We are blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
would just stand and worship with us again. Praise you, Heavenly steadfast, never failing, you are faithful. All creation is in awe of who you are. You're the healer of the sick and the broken. You are comfort for every heart that mourns. Our King and our Savior eternity we will sing of all you've done for eternity we will sing of all you've done we sing god with us god for us nothing can come against no one can stand between us god
we bless your name. We exalt you, Lord. We worship you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. 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 Holy Spirit, we thank you for ministering to us today. We thank you for direction and for utterance in Jesus' name. We bless you, Holy Father, for all the wonderful things that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've been talking a lot, uh, well, really, since we uh, opened back up. Um, I think it was May the 24th, something like that. We've been talking a lot about end-time events and conditions uh, for the return of Jesus and so forth. But today I want to talk to you about the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes, by the Holy Spirit, he said, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the, light, in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light, the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of, of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath. Thank God he hasn't. Now, the Bible talks about the, the tribulation period, the seven-year period of tribulation, as uh, the wrath of Jacob. So here where it's talking about God has not appointed us, uh, appointed us unto wrath, it's talking about the rapture taking place, this uh, event that comes as a thief in the night to those that are not watching and praying and aware of uh, what the Bible says for us. The Bible indicates to us first and foremost that we're not going to be here for the wrath of God. God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him. Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also you do. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to start in verse 36. Jesus is talking to his disciples about signs of the end and, and when he returns and so forth. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other is left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord cometh. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Beginning in verse 51, Paul said by the Holy Spirit, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So that when this corruptible shall have, been, shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of, of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us, the, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about people that scoff at the, at the uh, catching away of the church, the rapture of the church. The Bible says that scoffers will say things like, where is the promise of his coming? It's been preached from the beginning that Jesus is coming back, but he hadn't come. And that turns some people away from the truth of the word. But the Bible tells us over and over again about God's character and his nature. The idea of the rapture is far-fetched to some because they don't realize that, that, uh, what the Bible says about the rapture. But here's what I mean. The rapture of the church is certainly one of the great defining moments of God's plan for his people. But there have been other raptures in the past. When the Bible says of Enoch that Enoch pleased God, his testimony was that he pleased God, it says that Enoch was not for God took him. He removed him from the earth in bodily form. Now where did he go? Well, the blood of Jesus hadn't yet been shed for mankind, so he's living under the law of sin and death. The Bible says that no unrighteousness can look on the face of God. So he couldn't have gone to the presence of God. Where did he go? He went to Abraham's bosom before it was Abraham's bosom. You remember Jesus called that paradise. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said to one of the thieves, Verily I say unto you this day, you shall be with me in paradise. So paradise must be better than the earth in, his, in the form that God created it. Now there is no paradise anymore. Abraham's bosom was just a holding place for mankind until the blood of Jesus could be shed and the price for sin and death be paid. The Bible says Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, not talking about bodily uh, raising up, physical raising up or resurrection, but when his spirit was delivered from the place of the damned where he was the recipient for all of the punishment and all the anger and all the, the wrath of God upon sin. It says he went to Abraham's bosom and led captivity captive. He took them with him to the presence of God when he presented his blood as the sacrifice in the heavenly holy of holies, the Bible says. Elijah was raptured. You remember the story about how Elijah and Elisha were walking. Elijah knows where he's going. He knows that this is the end of his course, end of his life, physical life, here on the earth. 
And there were several times where he told Elisha to go back and Elisha wouldn't turn away. He had something he wanted from God and from his master. And that was a double measure of the anointing that was on Elijah the prophet. Elijah told him, you've asked a hard thing. That's not a hard thing for God. So a hard thing must have been a hard thing for him as a human being. But he said, you've asked a hard thing. But if you see me go up into the heavens, then you'll have what you want. The Bible tells us that the heavens opened and a chariot of fire came down from heaven to the earth, driven by an angel. Elijah stepped into that chariot and was caught up into heaven in bodily form. These were not spiritual things that took place. They were physical things that took place. Jesus was raptured. You remember in Acts chapter 1 when it tells us that after Jesus had spent about 40 days with his disciples after he was raised from the dead, he commissions them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And the Bible says that he was caught up in a cloud. And he rode that cloud into heaven. Well, that's a rapture. Jesus had a redeemed body. He's not in spirit form. He had a, has a redeemed body. He had one then, has one now. The Bible speaks of raptures concerning the church. This rapture that takes place for the church, where we're caught up into the air, we instantly receive our redeemed bodies, and then we go to spend eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior and our Father God. Now, there's a lot of controversy and a good bit of disagreement among church people about when the rapture takes place. And some people say that there's a rapture in the middle of the tribulation period, so that has to be when it takes place. But folks, there are three raptures that are identified in the tribulation period. The first is, or the beginning, before the tribulation period starts for the church, the church is caught up into heaven and then, the, rap, then the, uh, uh, the tribulation begins taking effect or taking place on the earth. Now, I always thought that if the rapture happened on Friday, then the tribulation started on Saturday. And that may be, but there's really no evidence to support that. There's no scripture that tells us that that's just the way that it is. That may be that after the church is gone, the Bible says that the church is the, uh, by in, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit that the church is the restraining force that keeps the devil from putting things in motion like the Antichrist and one world government and, so, and such and so forth that he wants to do and will do. So it may be that there's a period of time. I can't imagine it would be a long period of time, but maybe a couple of years between the rapture of the church and things coming into motion or lining up for the tribulation period to start. That we don't know. The Bible does speak of a rapture in the middle of the tribulation. It's a great multitude, a mixed multitude, primarily Jewish people. But there is a rapture in the middle of the tribulation. There's also a rapture at the end of the tribulation where the two witnesses, after they finally die, after all the things the Antichrist tries to do to kill them, 
very soon, well, within the last three days of the tribulation period, the end of the tribulation period, it says that the three witnesses, uh, the two witnesses die, and they're put on display for everybody to see. Then on the last day of the tribulation, these two are resurrected from the dead, caught up into heaven with everybody watching in plain sight of everybody through TV and, and so forth, I guess. They're caught up into heaven when Jesus comes back with the church as an army. They go to meet Jesus in the air and then they immediately come back to the earth to exact judgment upon the earth to the battle of Armageddon. So rapture is not a unique or an unusual event as far as God is concerned. Many people not knowing the other things, other places, other times in the Bible where rapture takes place, then perhaps it sounds like a far out, far-fetched idea to them. But it's not to God. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 21. This is Luke's account of Jesus talking about end-time events that Matthew 24 records as well. But there, uh, there's a little bit of difference, discrepancy between the two. Matthew 24 refers to some things that Luke 21 does not, and vice versa. Luke 21, verse 36, Jesus says, Watch ye therefore, he's talking to his disciples, and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. This word escape is a compound word. It's made up of two different words in the Greek. One of the words, the root word for this uh, word escape, which Strong's Concordance identifies as to flee, but the root word for this word escape means to vanish. It means to vanish. Let me read to you something from Revelation chapter 12. You knew we were going to get there, didn't you? Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. 12th chapter of Revelation talks about the devil's uh, war against the church and against the people of God and so forth. And it talks about, during part of this chapter, it talks about some of the things that will happen during the tribulation period concerning Israel, but not just the descendants of Abraham, Israel, but those that name the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. At the beginning of the tribulation period or shortly thereafter the Bible talks about the 144,000 evangelists that are commissioned to preach the gospel well this multitude this great multitude that are raptured in the middle part of the tribulation that's the result of the 144,000 in the ministry that God gives them Revelation chapter 12 verse 13 and when the dragon saw that he was cast out into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, the woman is representative of Israel, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. That's King James translation for three years, three and a half years, the midpoint of the tribulation, in other words, from the... She might fly into the wilderness unto her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the, the serpent. And the serpent cast out water. Out, I'm sorry. Let me try it over with this. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. 
And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth, which swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the, test the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. There's a verse in Isaiah, chapter 59, that speaks of this same type thing. Verse 19, it says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, just like is, is identified in Revelation chapter 12, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. Raise up a standard against him. The root word is for this word standard in the Old Testament is very similar to the root word for escape in the New Testament. It means to vanish. When the enemy comes in like a flood, concerning that period of time in the midpoint of the tribulation period, just after the midpoint of the tribulation period, it talks about God's escape for his people is to vanish. They're caught up into heaven. Let's look at a little bit more scripture. Look with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It gives us the how these things take place. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 beginning in verse 16 it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. Notice the, tr the trump of God, not the Biden of God. <laughs> For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Do I need to read it again? Okay. We'll always remember that this was the point where I lost control of the service. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This word trump is used several times in relation to the, uh, the rapture of the church. And it's an interesting word because it's one of those things that you can't really say was incorrectly translated, but the translation... In this case, left a lot to be desired. It's talking about a reverberation. It's a voice. The voice that comes from heaven. When Jesus splits the sky and comes back to receive the church, it's a voice that cries out. And it's such a loud, booming voice that the characteristic of the voice is that it reverberates. Something that shakes things up. Folks, God is in the business of shaking things up. Amen. We're coming to a point in time where things are going to be shaken up. That'll be beyond anything that we even expected to happen. Now with that in mind... Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. The first three chapters of Revelation tell us about how John was on the Isle of Patmos. He had been exiled to the island of Patmos 
the reason for that is because Caesar, the Caesar that was in effect at the point in time, tried to boil him in oil, tried to execute him several times in several different ways. One of the most significant ways was he tried to boil him in oil and John didn't die. There are a lot of times and a lot of things in church history, especially under the persecution of the Romans in the first generation of the church, where people were put to death or they attempted, the rulers attempted to put them to death, but they were unsuccessful. John's not the only one that escaped um, the form of execution. He's the only one that we know of that was uh, that the persecution, the death was not successful through the boiling of oil. But there are several times in several different places where God defended people and delivered them from the death, the execution of the government. When you commit your life to the Lord, when you put your, everything about you in your life, who you are and what you do, when you put that on the line for God, it puts you in a different place. It puts you in a different place of authority. Revelation chapter 4, first three chapters were John giving, uh, sending messages to the churches, the seven churches in Asia. And after Jesus, who appears to him and gives him these messages to the churches, it says in Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. This is where he refers in chapter 1, verse 9, I believe it is, that he heard a voice behind him talking about the work that he was going to do or that God wanted him to do to deliver these messages to the church. He turns around, looks behind him, and he sees that which symbolizes Jesus. It was a lamb slain in the midst of seven golden candlesticks which represent the churches and the, and the presence of the Holy Ghost upon the church. So he said, and I, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. What door was that? Had to be the door of revelation. Because that's what the result of this door being opened brings. It brings revelation to the church. I'm looking for that door to be opened to a much greater degree in the last days of the church. Paul told the people that he ministered to, he encouraged them to pray for him that a door of utterance would be opened. So there are, door, there are different doors in heaven. Thank God for doors of revelation and doors of utterance. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Here again this that uh, reverberation characteristic. And I, which I heard, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show these things which must be hereafter. Folks, I want you to realize the first thing about the end-time prophecy that the Bible relates to us is John being caught up into heaven itself. In other words, the revelation of Jesus Christ concerning the end times starts with a catching up 
of the one that represents us. So the voice said, come up hither and I will show these, show these things which must be hereafter. And immediately, that sounds like it's quick, the twinkling of an eye like Paul said. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiments. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Which are the seven spirits of God. Now let's mention a couple of things here. First of all John sees the twenty-four thrones. And the 24 elders that were upon those thrones. Now God's into numbers. And things mean something to God. Different numbers that are used mean things to God. He doesn't want you to make a religion out of numerology. But it's good for us to understand and recognize a couple of things. Just a basic knowledge of certain things. For example, God's number for governments is 12. That's why there were 12 tribes of Judah, or 12 tribes of Israel, rather, Judah being one of them. But God's people were affected by two different covenants the old covenant, which was the, the Mosaic covenant, and the new covenant, which is called Abraham's covenant. So you've got four, uh, 24 people, 24 elders. Perhaps 12 from the first covenant, the old covenant, and 12 uh, from the new covenant to make up the 24. Now the elders, every time the word elders is used in scripture, is talking about somebody that's a representative for somebody else. When Paul established elders in the churches that he founded and then left, nobody had been saved for a long period of time. And so he chose older people, people with more life experience to whom the wisdom of God was imparted and left them in charge. So those elders that he established and left in charge were representatives. They were representatives of God to the people. So the four and twenty elders, which would certainly cover the Old Testament and the New Testament, according to God's number of government, those 24 elders have to be a complete representation of the church. They have to be a complete representation of the church to God. And that's exactly the function that they enjoy or perform. Notice also in verse 5 again, it talks about the seven lamps of fire burning from the, before the Lord, before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. Seven is God's number of completion. And so it's telling us that the Holy Ghost is in full manifestation before the throne of God where John begins to see the vision. Verse 6, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. This sea of glass, this crystal sea, 
is referred to again in Revelation chapter 15. And it talks about a sea of crystal mingled with fire. Now there's something interesting about crystal. And that is this. It's the only substance on the earth that will not magnify flaws. You can't have a flaw in the crystal without being seen. You can't hide it. It can't have flaws underneath the surface and not be known or not be seen. In fact, any flaw that is in crystal will be magnified to such a degree that it's very obvious. And nobody buys crystal with a flaw in it. You can't get by with selling it because it's so easily seen. So what is this sea of glass like under crystal? Well, if the seven spirits of God are in, in heaven before the throne in full manifestation, if the 24 elders representing the church are in the presence of God in full manifestation, then that means the church has to be there. See, before these things, the Bible talks about Jesus being seated at the right hand of God as our representative as proof of our righteousness. But Jesus is not seated at the right hand of God when John sees this revelation. When this appearance takes place, Jesus is portrayed in very different ways. As a lamb slain, certainly, but not seated at his right hand. In other words, things have changed. Heavenly conditions are different. So if the entirety of the representation of the church, God's form of government for Old Testament, New Testament, if they're before the throne and the seven spirits of God are before the throne, in order for God's word to be true, where he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, then we've got to be where the Holy Ghost is. It goes on and tells about some things concerning the beast. Skip down with me to verse 9. It says, And when these beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Skip over with me to chapter 5 now. I'm sorry, it's chapter 6. For the sake of time, we want to skip over some things. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 1, John said, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder and of one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Revelation chapter 6, after Jesus is identified in the fourth and the fifth chapter as being the, the sacrifice, the only one worthy to open the seals for things to come. It tells us the first few things that take place in the tribulation period. Now, folks, this is why this is important. If we know what the tribulation starts with, then we can calculate to the day 
when Jesus comes back with the church. It's seven years on the dot, as it were. So if we can identify the first few things that start the tribulation period, then we can easily know, easily identify, easily calculate when the tribulation period ends. The way that we know what events start the tribulation is what the Holy Ghost reveals that John refers to. The first thing he makes mention of, the white horse and he that sat on him, notice he had a bow, but it doesn't say anything about arrows. A bow without arrows is not much of a, a weapon, folks. You can use it like a stick, I guess. But there's not much of a weapon here. A crown was given unto him, not a crown that he earned, like Jesus. But a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. This has to be the Antichrist. Yeah, but some would say, but he's riding a white horse. That signifies something good. Well, that's what he deceives the people of the earth to believe for at least the first half of the tribulation period. Now, here you've got a guy, the Antichrist, that we know winds up being the leader of the one world government. Now, when the Bible talks about world, it doesn't mean the whole planet. There's no indication that the Antichrist would have any effect on America whatsoever. The world that's being spoken of was the center of all things during the time that this vision was received. The center of all things would be Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. So if the Antichrist is going to rule over Europe, the Middle East, and Asia, which the Bible says that he does, how does he come to the place where he takes control? What people, what rulers of these countries that make up Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, which people, whether elected or appointed or any other means by which they receive their power, who's going to give that power up? Something has to happen to shake up the makeup, to shake the makeup of what the, the part of the world that the Bible refers to. Verse 3 and when he, Jesus, had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So the first seal opens to the Antichrist. The second opens to war. Now what war is there that the Bible tells us about that would still make a place for the Antichrist to be rulers of that part of the world? Turn back with me to Exodus, uh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38, beginning in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, 
the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Now he's going to tell us who makes up this army. Gog is the leader of, of what we know of as Russia or literally the, the um, Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union. And then these other nations are joined in together with them. Persia, that's Iran, Ethiopia, that's part of Egypt, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all of his bands, there's pretty good information, pretty good indication that Gomer is the um, part of Europe that we know of as Germany. Gomer and all of his bands, the house of Tagarma and the north quarters of the north quarters and all his bands and many people with thee. Something happens to bring the Antichrist to the place where he can take control and take power. What is that? It's this war. This war led by Russia and Iran will encompass most of the Muslim nations because by the time this happens, most of the nations of Europe will be predominantly Muslim. If you look at the demographics and how things are taking place around the world, you'll find out that the birth rate among the Muslim community, those that identify themselves as Muslims, their population is skyrocketing. Every other population is in decline. There's a replacement percentage that's necessary to be hit by nations in order to, for them, the makeup of those nations to continue on in the same manner concerning percentages. What I'm simply saying is the Muslims that are in Russia will very soon, within the next 10 to 20 years, be the predominant people of the nation of Russia. The same thing is true of most of Europe. One of the things that um, bears this out is that about 15 years ago, the United Kingdom recognized that they were falling far short of the replacement ratio, the replacement percentage for them to continue on in the same demographic mix that they had currently or had at that time that point in time so they put out a cry to everybody that wanted to come to their land come to their nation well the ones that responded more than any others were the Muslims and that is part of the long term goal for those of the Muslim faith their terminology is to breed out whatever constituency there is in the nation that they go into. 
that was what, you remember Yasser Arafat? He may be before some of your times. But he was the leader of the Palestinian group, which was known then as the Palestinian Liberation uh, Organization. And that was what he encouraged his people to do. There was tension between the Jews and the Arabs, as there has been for thousands of years. And his plan was for the Muslims to have kids in at least double the rate that the Jews were having children of their own. Well, after just a short generation, you can see what that would produce. All these nations that are identified here as joining with Russia are in that same situation, that same predicament, if you will, and they are fast becoming predominantly Muslim nations. Let me skip down to verse 9 of Ezekiel 38. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands, and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest and that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. We mentioned recently about these two peace treaties that President Trump and his uh, administration negotiated. It's setting the stage for Israel being at peace with his neighbors. And that peace with, his, with its neighbors will continue until Gog and Magog bring this army down from the north through Syria and through Lebanon to attack Israel in its own home, uh, home country. Verse 13, it speaks of others that are part of this coalition army, Sheba and Dedan and, uh, and the merchants of Tarshish. This could be Saudi Arabia. Most likely it's Saudi Arabia and some other of the Egyptian countries, North Egyptian, I mean North African uh, countries. And so Sheba and Dedan with merchants of Tarshish and with all the young lions say unto thee, Art thou come to, art thou come to take a spoil? How hast thou gathered thine army, thy company, to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, and to take away cattle and goods, and take a great spoil? This refers to the, the response that much of the world will have to Russia coming in to invading and invading Israel. There'll be a diplomatic questioning, a diplomatic response, but nobody takes up arms against them. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwell safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, that's through Syria and Lebanon, thou and thy people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land, 
It shall be in the latter days, and I shall bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me, when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. Um, well, let's just keep reading. Verse 17. Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years, that I would bring thee against them? And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Notice this next phrase. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down. Only mountains that Israel has are in the north, making the border between themselves and Lebanon. And all the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. So it says part of what happens when God defeats these, this Russia coalition army in one day. We know that it's one day because the Bible tells us that the, the, the weapons of this coalition army that is defeated by God himself burns for seven years. Well, if the beginning of the tribulation period is the war that Ezekiel 38 and 39 refers to, then it has to be open in, over in one day, one 24-hour period, in order for you to get seven years of burning the weapons before Jesus comes back. So one of the things that happens is there's a great earthquake that destroys many of the coalition army. Other things take place too. Verse 21, And I will call for a sword against him, Throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God, every man's sword shall be against his brother. These coalition armies begin fighting amongst themselves too. Verse 22, and I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon many people that are with him an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Now folks, one thing that you need to know, and I'm, I don't claim to be an expert about all this stuff, but one thing that modern-day weapons and modern-day technology cannot overcome is hail. As technically advanced as smart bombs and drones and all that kind of stuff is, hail wipes it off the map. And the Bible talks about hail mingled with fire and brimstone as being God's plan to, de to deliver Israel in this 124-hour period of time. Folks, you can't make this stuff up. God spoke these things three or 4,000 years before they took place. It's almost like he knew what it was going to be like. Verse 23, Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they shall know that I am the Lord. Look with me to the next chapter, verse 30, no, chapter 39. Therefore thou, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, 
the chief prince of Meshel and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. Now notice what the destruction is described as. It says, I will leave but the sixth part of thee. Now we'll see in another couple of scriptures as we go down in the chapter, it'll become clear that the sixth part, and if you do the math, that's about 17%. God is saying of those nations, Russia, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, and all the other nations, predominantly Muslim nations, that join themselves in this coalition army, not just are the armies destroyed, but judgment falls upon all of these countries in such measure that only 17% of the population of, any, of all of these countries individually, only 17% is left alive. Now here's why that's significant. In one period of time, one day, one 24-hour period of time, The superpower nation of Russia is decimated. They are rudderless. They are leaderless. Iran, that causes so much trouble and so much uh, terror in the ways that they operate. The leader of Iran is destroyed along with, what would it be, 84%? of the people of that country in the same ways through the earthquakes through the fire uh, with mingled with uh, with the hail mingled with fire it creates a perfect storm for the antichrist to come in and be the leader of all these other countries i will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel. He's talking about Gog and Magog, this coalition army. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands and the people that is with thee. And I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord. And I will send a fire on Magog, and upon them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. It's talking about the, the uh, defense of Israel, the destruction of this Russian coalition army, as not just upon the armies themselves, but upon the places that they dwell the countries from whom these armies were sent. It basically wipes out Islam in one 24-hour period. Now, the Philippines and India, Indonesia, and places like that are predominantly Muslim too. But for the, the part of the world that are, that's identified here, God basically wipes Islam off the map. What a mighty God we serve.
And I will send a fire on Magog and upon them that dwell carelessly in the isles. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of thy people Israel. And I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and the bows and the arrows, and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. Now, if there's seven years left, folks, then we know what the when it starts and what's going to happen to set these things in motion. So that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire and shall spoil those that spoiled them and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord God. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of the graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. And it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and there they shall bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Hammon Gog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them that they may cleanse the land. The destruction, the number of people that are destroyed on this first day of tribulation is just mind-boggling. Now there's nowhere left for Israel to believe or to accept other than this was the hand of God. It's such a mighty destruction. Israel doesn't have to fire a shot. Israel doesn't have to fight one battle. God destroys this coalition army and the countries from which they came in such measure that all of Israel knows this had to be God. Then when they couple that with going back, remember the, the, the church is already gone. The church is already raptured. When they go back and look in the Old Testament and notice that we're, this is Ezekiel that tells us this stuff, not Paul. When they go back to their own scriptures and see these things as they were prophesied, there's a mass turning to God of Jewish people all over the world. This isn't even the work of the 144,000 evangelists who are all Jewish too. This is just God showing himself to be the defender of Israel. Well, there's other things that we could read, but for the sake of time, we'll just stop there. The first thing that John experiences in the end time prophecy, the revelation of Jesus. And I think a lot of people, I know I did, have a, a wrong conception of what the book of Revelation is really all about. I remember hearing the book of Revelation spoken of. It wasn't taught very much. 
in the church that I grew up in. But it was spoken of in such a way that it almost magnified the devil and the Antichrist. But the whole book of Revelation is talking about and magnifying God and his power. The book of Revelation is, is seriously is the Antichrist trying to do stuff and God stopping him on every hand. It's about the work of the devil and how ineffective he is. And we get to watch all these things from heaven. God has not appointed us to wrath. Somebody said that the idea that the church going through the tribulation, as many people preach, is like the groom's father beating up the wife-to-be before the marriage ceremony. We have not been appointed under wrath. But our time is short. We have a work to do. And thank God he's told us what that work is. To preach the gospel of the kingdom with power before the end comes. There are things that God is quickening in my heart. about his healing power, his miracle working power, that I can just feel myself being set up in, in a place where the things that we read about in the book of Acts become commonplace again. And I don't mean to say that to signal, uh, single me out. I just believe that it's the way that God is working with the whole of the body of Christ. Folks, these services, ever since we came back from lockdown, these services, according to the spiritual sense that I have in my heart, these are the most important services we've ever had as a church. Now, I can't tell you why. I don't know yet why. But there's such a... Um, I have no idea what word I'm looking for here. There's such a quickening. There's such a quickening taking place on the inside of me about these Sunday morning services. We're still teaching healing school on Sunday night. We're still having a midweek service on Wednesday. But these Sunday morning services, there's something special about them. I don't mean there's something special about them where I'm concerned. I mean there's something special about them as far as God's purpose is concerned. God's preparing us to do some pretty big things. God's preparing us to be used of God to show his power to the world. And who else would he use other than people that put the word first? 
I'm glad for all the good things that I see other people doing. There are some people that are fighting the good fight against the government so that they can have church and things like that. And I, I, I pray for them. I support them. I'm glad for whatever God has for them to do. I'm also glad he hadn't got that for us to do. I don't want to fight the government. I want us to get ready by the word of God to be used in some other supernatural ways other than, than uh, just what the government says we can do. Now, there may come a time where we do have to stand against the government, and if that's the case, then we'll know and we'll do what we are supposed to do at the time. But I'm not trying to spit in the government's eye by having church. And the way that God has protected us so that we can do what we're doing is pretty amazing. Folks, Jesus is coming soon. And we've got a lot of work to do before he gets here. This gospel shall be preached in all the world with a witness or with proof or evidence, with power. And then shall the end come. One of the things God said of himself, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of his glory. We've got some specific things that God has said. Specific things that we can know and determine just what his will is. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. And we thank you so much for your word. That reveals to us things to come. We thank you, Holy Father. For the moving of your spirit. To bring forth the reign of God that the last day harvest may be reached. Thank you, Father, for showing your power unto all your people, unto everyone that names the name of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Father, we pray for the body of Christ. We thank you for the work that you've given each and every one of us to do. I pray that we would all be strengthened with your might, with your mighty power. That we would be thoroughly equipped whatever part of the fight that we have just as they shall be equipped for the the fight that you've given them. And Father, we realize that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Although there are some, so many people that are doing their best to try to prove that otherwise. We thank you, Lord, that you equip us 
that you give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. That the eyes of our understanding would be opened. That we would know the hope of your calling. Just what we're called to do. And what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in us as children. Children of the most high God. And that you will show unto us the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Father, we pray for our leaders, our president, his advisors. We pray that you would give them divine wisdom and understanding, even in things that perhaps they don't know. Guide them and order their steps. And Father, we pray that the enemy's plans would be revealed against your people and against our nation. And Father, we pray that everyone would have the opportunity to see what the work of the devil really is and to turn away from it. But we also know that there are people that are joined to the devil's agenda because that's the way they want it to be. And in that case, Father, we pray that they would come to ruin. We pray, Father, for the spiritual leaders of our nation. That you would give them clarity of vision and clarity of thought. That they would understand the role that you have for each of them to play. even as it is with all of us. We thank you, Father, for showing yourself strong on behalf of your people. Now, Holy Spirit, we need your help. We know what to pray for in part, but we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. So we thank you for giving us utterance to speak in other tongues that we might pray the perfect will of our Father. Yes, Lord, we ask of you the rain in the time of the latter rain. We thank you, Lord, for making bright clouds or lightnings displays of your power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Blessed be Jesus. Let's all stand, please. Lord, we worship you. We thank you that you have us in your hand and no one will ever be able to take us out. We thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. We thank you, Lord, for performing that which you have promised. For you are not a man that would lie, nor the son of man that you would repent or change your mind. That which you have said you will do, that which you have spoken, you will make good. Bless you, Holy Father. We yield ourselves to you, Lord. Use us according to your will and purpose. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Jesus is coming soon, folks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not going to be those that sleep, though. We'll be awake and ready for him when he comes. God bless you. Have a great day. And you're dismissed.